Hello, hello, hello. You can't see my face, but I'm beaming with joy and the biggest smile on my face because I am so beyond excited, exclamation point, excited to share today's conversation with Gary Ramsey. This episode is going to literally change your life and the way you live your life I promise you it's going to do that this is how good this episode is so Gary is somebody who was diagnosed with cancer almost over five years ago now and he went on this amazing healing transformative journey that awakened him to his true true identity And he allowed that journey to bring him home into himself. And he will share everything that happened, his recovery, what cancer taught him, and really how it was the best thing he says that ever happened to him. And I am so grateful for this conversation because he's just such a such an amazing pure soul he has such good energy and literally he's the embodiment of somebody who is really truly living his life and savoring every single moment so before we dive in i want to share that gary does offer services to anyone who's sick or ill with cancer and would like to consult or ask his advice or just connect with him and talk to him that's something he offers to anybody who would like to just meet him and have some support through their healing journey uh all of his information on how to contact him is in the show notes of this episode and one more thing i would love it if you could share this episode with your friends far and wide it would help both Gary and I bring this amazing, amazing, healing, transformative episode into the ears of more listeners. I appreciate you so much. And now let's dive in to today's episode with Gary Ramsey. Welcome to the Unlearn Yourself podcast. This is the place to discover and remember yourself as you unlearn who you have been taught to be. We will explore who your true self is by diving into your inner world and creating the most empowering, aligned, and free relationship with you and your life. so much for taking the time to do this. I am so thrilled to be talking to you. No problem. And thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, you came from Anita, right? Correct? Yeah. Um, So I actually reached out to Anita to ask her to be on the podcast and her team just said her schedule was too busy Mm -hmm. and they actually referred you. Yes. Yes. And, uh, uh, well, and just so you know, um, I did a radio uh, on Hay House with Anita initially. And that was before I wrote the book. And that became extremely popular. So that's really why her team recommends me when she is unable to do it. 
So yeah, because I saw that episode of you with Anita on our Hay House radio show, but I didn't okay. listen to it because I was like, I don't want any kind of backstory <laughs> <Jeez>. yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, I don't get it. I love her book. I, I had an opportunity to meet her at the I Can Do It conference in Denver in 2014, and she signed a copy of her book for me. Oh, wonderful. She's just lovely. I just adore her. Yep. Yeah. And her journey is amazing too. Amazing. And she and I were only born uh, three days apart. Oh, really? Are you, are you February? I, uh, March. March. March, She's March, uh, March 14th. Oh, you're Pisces. Uh, Pisces. Yep. Yep. Cool. So, and we were born the same year as well. So we're the oh, same. Wow. Yes. She, you and her both. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. She okay. in India and me in Chicago. Wow. Um, <laughs> So let's talk about you now. Okay. Uh, so how would you, if you could use a few words to describe yourself, what words would you use? I would say an explorer. Um, deeply in love with life. Mm. Someone who uh, is always fascinated with another's perspective. Mm. I love that you said deeply in love with life. And I'm pretty sure we're going to understand why mm-hmm. here, here, here in a little bit. Um, so could you just share your journey and how you got to this point where you can say deeply in love with life? Like what, what led you to where you are today and wanting to share everything that you're sharing about healing and transformation and really, you know, coming back home to ourselves. Yes. Yes. And I love that you said that coming back home to ourselves, because I feel that my whole journey led me right back to myself and I am, and yet I am totally transformed. Mm. So, you know, the whole thing began nearly five years ago and I was told uh, by my doctor that um, I had a deadly cancerous tumor Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, could kill me at any minute. And those were his, really his exact words, which um, was shocking to me because I didn't even know there was such thing, uh, such a thing as a deadly cancerous tumor. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the cancer that they were actually worried about, but it was the tumor itself and where it had grown. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that tumors could be life-threatening. So I had a lot of catch-up to do that day just in my understanding of cancer. I didn't even expect... I had cancer, much less that it was deadly. And he explained that um, how that would work and basically that the cancer tumor was threatening to stop my heart. I mean, that's really the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so I was then faced with what to do in that situation. When I asked him what can be done, he said, well, that's actually the bad news. There's really nothing that can be done. Which was very, very, very shocking to me. Mm-hmm. I immediately went to, um, uh, you know, to thinking. Okay, so then, I guess I'm just going to die, mm-hmm. and that was really how I left that office. But for some odd reason, I took all of my test results with me. Mm-hmm. I asked him for them, and I had them. 
And when I got outside, uh, there was a beautiful little park very close to the office. And I walked to that park. And all I can really tell people is that I had this thought of, wow, all these people here. And not only can I die at any minute, but anybody could die at any minute. Mm. Which, you know, doesn't sound that transformative or revolutionary. But at that point, that was one of the most unbelievable, uh, uh, one of the most unbelievable things that had ever come to my mind that anyone, anywhere could die at any minute. And that I was this person with all these test results, all this proof that it was going to be me. Mm -hmm. So that sent me into what I can only describe as a state of pure, unadulterated bliss. Mm. And I stood there in that park in this state of such heightened bliss that I basically had to sit down. And that's what I did. And I can't even really tell you how long I was there. I remember the trees were just blowing, the breeze coming through the leaves. It was, it was a beautiful day, just magnificent. And it was almost as though I became like one mm -hmm. with the whole environment. And then what happens is I get stirred out of it by a woman who, you know, Anita Morjani, came to my mind. Oh, really? With, right at that moment? Right at that moment. And she had written this beautiful book, Dying to Be Me, that I had been a huge fan of, a huge fan of um, for years. As a matter of fact, I was one of the first people to buy the copy. Mm -hmm. I had heard her story on an interview with um, Wayne Dyer. Yeah. Dr. Wayne Dyer. So um, I had been one of the first people to read her book. And at that moment, it came to me. And those people that don't know Anita's story, she was uh, on her deathbed yeah. with her organs failing in a coma that had gone on for a long period of time. And she had no chance of recovery. And she snapped out of that coma. Yeah. And uh, her cancer healed. Mm -hmm. And that was so prevalent with me. And it was like, oh my God, what am I thinking? If she did that, well, maybe I can. <laughs> I was even a little arrogant about it because I thought, well, she was in a coma. I'm not even in a coma. I'm totally fine. I'm walking around. I'm moving. So um, that inspired me. That spurred me into action and kind of kicked me into this. Um, I could almost say this surreal journey. Mm -hmm. For me, it was like the journey began at that moment. Mm. And then it was a, a, a series of just letting go and seeing what, when I surrendered, what would come to me, what would become of my journey. And wouldn't you know, one thing kept leading to another and to another and to another. That very... Like right after that, literally by the time I arrived home, I um, opened my door and the name Farrah Fawcett came to mind. <laughs> I don't know where. And I remembered uh, in that moment that Farrah Fawcett, who had died of cancer, she had already been dead for several years, um, had been taken to Germany before her cancer. And I talked to a friend who was very in on cancer and all of that. And 
I just, out of curiosity, said, do you know why they took Farrah to Germany? And my friend said, yes, um, Germany has some of the top treatments for cancer. Hmm. And that occurred to me and I thought, wow, why don't I research Germany? As long as I'm going to die at any minute, maybe, maybe there's something they have that you know, they don't have here in the States. Mm-hmm. So I went up there and researched. And in my search, I found this magnificent institute mm-hmm. in Mexico mm-hmm. that literally when I saw it, I thought, I've got to go there. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew nothing about the institute. Mm-hmm. But it was so beautiful. And again, it was following my intuition. And I just thought, that's where I've got to go. So looking and for I, Germany led you to Mexico. To Mexico. Oh, wow. It turned out that um, the Mexican clinic had modeled themselves after the German clinic. Oh. So I clicked down to Mexico. And sure enough, they started saying cancer. And they treat all kinds of cancers. And I thought, oh, my God. So I had to call someone. So yeah. I got on the phone. They have a, they have a, um, a representative here in uh, the States. And I said, look, you know, here's my problem. And I went through the whole thing. And I talked to her about this deadly tumor and da-da-da-da-da, how the doctors are saying if they operate, I'll probably die. There's really nothing they can do. And she said, oh, yes, we're very familiar with those tumors. Mm, <laughs> and wow. I was like, what? Uh, you know, I, yeah, I had never heard about these tumors. And I said, how, uh, how is that? And she said, well, because they're very rare and they do happen. And the States doesn't really deal with these tumors. They have a very low success rate. So we have these treatments that we do. And she began to explain them, these treatments to me. And I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And I said, so you really think that I have some sort of chance. And she said, well, yes. And absolutely you have a better chance than you would staying in the States. Yeah. So I said, that's amazing. I said, well, I mean, I've got to try this. What do we do? Like, how do I do it? And she said, well, things could really, you know, we could move much quicker if you happen to have your medical records. Ah. Do you have them? (laughs) And I said, As a matter of fact, I asked for them and I do. And so that's exactly how the whole thing unfolded. And right away that evening, I knew, I mean, this was not even five hours after my diagnosis. I knew that this was, this was happening by divine providence. I knew Mm -hmm. this had nothing to do with me Mm -hmm. and that I was really being led. so, I mean, the, the story goes on and on, but the key was everything led me to this place, uh, which was called San Aviv, in, in uh, well, just 50 miles south of San Diego on, across the Mexican border. Mm-hmm. And um, it really was a paradise. Yeah. Now, what I often tell people is that I still didn't believe it would work because of course they couldn't guarantee anything. They never can, especially with something as, you know, precarious as my situation. Mm -hmm. But I went there with the full intent that I was going to live my life to the fullest possible state Mm -hmm. and and accept whatever was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I set out to do on that journey. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
I went there and started can I, can I, can I stop you for a second please, please. I want to I want to go back to something sure that, that I'm like sitting here and just pondering the words that you said is you said you said this you said anyone can die at any minute yes and how that was a revelation for you profound just kind of like, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it and I'm like you just had proof that you could die at any minute that's what, ma- that's what made it so real for you. Yes. Whereas like someone like me, I don't have any proof right now. Right. right. So that thought right. doesn't even occur to me that I could die at any minute. That's so true. Yes. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about this and I'm like, are we just, are we just like in denial that, that we could die any minute because there's no like factual evidential proof in, in front of our faces telling us that we can, that we're, that we, that we human beings tend to live this life as though we're going to live forever. Like nothing can touch us. I like to call that the lovely illusion. Yes. I love to just refer to it as the lovely illusion. It's a lovely illusion. Yes. And every person I've talked to since who has faced death, they all come to that at some point on their journey that we live in this lovely illusion and that at any moment, anyone's life, it, it, it doesn't matter how old they are, how young they are, how healthy they are, how not. No one knows what that future moment holds. And that's, I think, both protective, but there's also an arrogance that some people have because they, they walk around thinking, oh, well, it can't happen to me yeah it cannot and that's the illusion because of course we all know logically of course it can happen and that was one of the most profound moments in my journey to be honest it's really the moment that kicked off everything yeah it really is and the other thing that really struck to me is that when you had that revelation you went into this complete state of bliss as if like something within you opened Yes. And like the veil, the veil that was covering your eyes of what was true, what was real, was just lifted off. It was just gone. And there was nothing more important than where I was at that moment. Everything Mm -hmm. that was happening, the breeze, the leaves, the park, the children playing, there was nothing more important than that. And here I was, could die at any minute. (laughs) There was nothing more important than that blissed out moment. Mm-hmm. which felt to me like it went on forever. But I know it couldn't have. There's no way that it could have. And the but thing, the thing it, that comes to my mind when you describe that, I was like, it's because it feels like as if you embraced it and that's the reason you were led on this journey of like the healing where the synchronicities all just started to line up. Like you weren't resisting it. You were just like, all right, it's here. I accept it. Yes. Yes. And, and I have to tell you throughout the entire journey, it was one of total acceptance. Mm. There was no more rejection, no matter how good or how bad something was going, there was no rejection. There was just total unconditional love and acceptance for whatever laid before me. And how did you get to that, get to that point? Was it in that moment when you had that revelation? It was absolutely in that moment. I I really always go back to that moment because it was the most powerful thing that actually 
happened to me on the on the entire journey. And as I had mentioned, set the tone. It was almost like the race, like the, the gun went off at that moment and the race or the journey or however you want to phrase that began. And from that moment on, it was just pure bliss. I mean, I, uh, even when I wrote my book, I called it bliss one hero's journey because I realized that we are all on a, we are all heroes on our journey and that the journey is bliss but often it's disguised in other ways and we don't actually recognize it. Mm -hmm. We don't see it. We don't see the bliss that's actually there because we have been trained or we look at everything from a more negative perspective, like the glass is half empty. But um, that, my journey, everything, I saw it from a completely different perspective, mm -hmm. unconditionally, accepted and loved at every single moment mm -hmm. and so there wasn't a bad moment mm -hmm. so that is the uh was the key that yeah. was um i want to go further but i want to get some context before we go into what happened when you actually went down to mexico into this healing center absolutely what were you like before this diagnosis before this happened uh, my life, I thought, was a really good one. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I, I am a teacher currently. Um, I teach a technique called the Alexander Technique, which is very much about the um, understanding of the mind and the body and how they work in, in efficiency and unison together. Uh, I, so I had a wonderful career teaching. I also was singing opera. I had become very successful. Uh, singing opera um, in a multitude of places very late in my life mm -hmm. uh, had gotten written up in the New York times, rave reviews, three different separate occasions and was actually going to be doing a big um, new opera mm -hmm. at a, a, a very large uh, um, uh, uh, place in, in Houston, Texas. I was actually just about to enter rehearsals for that when I got diagnosed I was really and had been riding a high in my life for, I would say, probably about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it was only getting more and more exciting and better. And then, boom, cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And everything stopped. Mm -hmm. I mean, my the life that I had completely stopped. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... Um, my life became the journey, the journey of dealing with that situation and with that cancer. And I have to ask you, this is coming to my mind, is why do you think you got the cancer? I am sure that I had gotten too caught up in my life. And I was uh, getting to the point because things were going so well that I couldn't refuse anything. I kept doing and accepting things, even though I was overworked, I was starting to become stressed. I was starting to become, uh, and I can even remember moments where I wasn't taking care of me as much anymore because I wanted so badly to help them and to be there for them and for new projects and to help, you know, uh, somebody, you know, people who were just, uh, there was opera companies who were just doing these new projects really wanted me and needed me. And because I had gained a little bit of 
uh, I'm gonna, I'll just call it fame in that circuit, I wanted to be there for them. And I realized that I was really depleting me. So you were over giving yes. others, but under giving yourself. And it seems yeah. like this whole healing journey from cancer was you learning how to come home and give to yourself. Exactly. Exactly. You are so right about that. And that's really what the, where the journey took me. Mm-hmm. It completely transformed all of my concepts about my energy versus the energy outside of me and how I use that and how I work uh, with everyone, myself and other people. And it's completely revolutionized. Um, I no longer see anyone as a victim. I see no one as uh, even ill, really, or um, incompetent or incapable or a poor uh, person because of circumstance. I now see that they just need to be more opened up to what's really going on for them, to what really is present. Mm-hmm. So my whole construct has actually shifted in that regard. This is a question I'm going to ask you later, but sure. Um, maybe I'll just say it now. How do you feel? Cause I want to go back to your, what happened once you got into the healing center. Okay. But I want to ask you real quick is those of us who are, walking around like we're victims of our life and we're just stuck and these are the cards that we've been dealt with and there's nothing we can do about it this is just the way it is for me how can we open up without having to go to like an extreme of being told that you're going to die any minute right and 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 you know what those two are very linked because it's coming out of the illusion coming out of the illusion just like coming out of the illusion that I can't die right now. Mm-hmm. Coming out of that illusion that anybody could die at any minute, you come out of the illusion that whatever thoughts I have about me, whatever thoughts I have about my situation, the people outside of me, that's an illusion that I created. I have have built that illusion. Mm-hmm. And if I built that illusion, I can shift that illusion. Mm-hmm. So that if I've built the illusion that I'm a victim, if I built the illusion that, oh my God, this is the most horrible thing that could ever happen to me, I can rebuild that illusion. I can change it into something else. It's what I work with now with cancer people all the time. I, I ask them, well, what, what do you want to believe about this? What, what are you seeking to do with this? Now, most people would think that you know they want to get well. But there are some people that are, to do that, they're, they're not willing to give up certain things. They're holding on to certain um, uh, conditions, I'll call them. And that, so then I kind of challenge them and go, well, but what if you have to let go of that? Then do you really want to get well? Mm. And you see, and so what I do now with people is I don't tell them what to do. I never give people really advice. I, I, I would say I more challenge them about what it is that they are doing or what it is that they do believe. Mm-hmm. And do you really want to hold on to that? Mm-hmm. Or are you willing to go into a new, um, I'll just call it just in a new world, mm-hmm. a, a new concept, a new construct. Why do you think and, we are holding on to these illusions? And we, we, we stay stuck to these conditions, say this is just the way it is for me. Yeah, it's fear. 
it always goes back to fear. Every single thing, and even myself, even how I think I got to my cancer, mm -hmm. there was a fear that if I didn't keep doing it, I would, I would um, disappoint someone else, or I would fail myself, or people would stop uh, seeing me as someone who could help them. So it was fear. It was the total fear. And, um, you know, and we're seeing that right now, that people are just totally paralyzed by fear, yes. no matter what they're being told. It doesn't even matter what the truth is. Fear is what holds people back. Mm -hmm. And of course, the greatest fear is the fear of death. So once, and, and I now am uh, completely convinced that if we cannot confront our fear of our immortality, of our death, of our uh, just mortalness, then there is no way we can ever truly live life. Mm. I mean, I feel like I only began to live life the day of that diagnosis. Mm. That was the, the first day of my life. Yeah, and it catapulted you to embracing your life. Absolutely. The way that you. it exists. And not the way I want it to be. Mm. And that's ask, the beauty of it. I have to ask you this question because sure. fear is, oh, fear. I know. Fear. Wow. It's, it's crippling. Yes. It, 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 to me, it feels like I'm in a dark black hole and there's like no exit. What, what does fear mean to you? What, I want to go back to your story, but I just feel like the questions keep coming sure. up. Sure. Um, what did you what how what did you learn about fear through this process like what does it mean it's it's a meaningless mm. meaning that i give fear the individual i me you we give fear its power yes fear has no power even if a demon appears right in front of us it has no power unless we give it power and so I realized with the cancer, so I'll take it back to the cancer, that if I gave it power to kill me, mm. and if I gave it power to scare me, that was my problem. That wasn't the cancer's problem, you see, because the cancer is just doing what it needs to do. It wants to live. It wants to be alive. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to live and I wanted to live. And the doctors are only seeing it from their perspective of fear that they see in that diagnosis. So that when I realized that everybody's fear is just contributing to this, I took the fear away. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I grew this inside of my body. This is my baby. Mm -hmm. I have created this mm -hmm. for whatever reasons it, you know, at that point, it doesn't really matter, even though I started to understand why I created it. And then I was going to bring this to fruition, whether I was going to live or die. And I felt, and I swear to God, even though I'm not a woman, I felt like I was going to deliver a baby. Mm -hmm. This tumor was my baby. Mm -hmm. And it, Maybe I was going to deliver it safely and live, or maybe I was going to deliver it safely and die. But mm. it didn't matter. I, that, I was going to bring it to its fruition. Mm -hmm. And I was going to do it in the most beautiful way possible up until my last moment of breath. That was my decision. 
And that turned out to be one of the most beautiful experiences. How, how, what was that fruitation of bringing it to life going to look like? Just it, it allowing to exist? That it did exist and it was going to come out of me one way or the other. And if it was going to kill me on the way out, then I was going to die. And if it wasn't, then I was going to live. And I accepted that. Wow. I, just as some women have to accept when they're going through labor. Sometimes women do die from the delivery. Um, but they certainly wouldn't, none of them would want their child to die. Mm -hmm. They would want their child to go on. That's what they did. That was their last gesture. Wow. So, That's giving me chills. Oh. Um, let's go back to when you found that healing center in Mexico. Okay. So you found that healing center, you called them up, gave them your medical records. What happened after that? Well, um, first they have to approve you. Mm -hmm. So what I want to say about the center, they will not accept you if they don't think they can help. Mm -hmm. The woman I had spoke to originally thought they, they could. Then you have a board of doctors that examine your case with your records. Then you fill out all this information. They review all the information and then they decide whether they really think they can help this person or not. So then you get accepted. Then of course, because I could die, right? That possibility was still there. They, um, I needed to have a family member present only during the surgery, mm -hmm. only during the surgery because they could not have a, an American body in Mexico uh, that was deceased without someone in charge, without okay. someone legally in charge. So I had to get all that together and I had to get all my financial situations together as well because I had to make sure that this person was able to do what they needed to do in the event of my death. Mm -hmm. That, and believe it or not, I got diagnosed on a Tuesday in the later afternoon and I was on a plane on Sunday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, oh. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It happened so fast. Yeah, very fast. So I didn't have time to really uh, waste. I moved at a very quick pace. And when I finally got the acceptance, which was a Thursday morning, uh, my next step was the bank and all of that legal stuff, all of that stuff that, you know, when somebody's going to take a, a very long vacation, that they really, really have to, sorry, that they really have to prepare for. And um, that was the, the race. I will call that the race because it was uh, so much. I had like almost um, superhero energy at that point. At times I couldn't even believe it. And uh I also was uh, losing a tremendous amount of weight at that point. Mm -hmm. Everything I ate, I, I just couldn't keep food, just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And my weight was disappearing. Um, so uh, that was the most strenuous part, I would say, of the entire journey. Mm -hmm. And then when I made it to that plane to Mexico, that was my first moment of like, wow, I did it. Mm -hmm. And I almost felt like from that moment on, no matter what happened, it was all going to be great. It was all going to be great. And then when I arrived at the facility, what the facility really taught me is I was not the patient. Mm -hmm. I was a guest in their facility, their, you know, compound. Mm -hmm. And they were going to do whatever I needed to make me feel good. 
So they weren't really ever talking about healing me, it, although they were. They were really talking about what I needed in order to feel good mm-hmm. during this entire time. So, so that was saying more on you, your alignment to yourself more than correct. anything. That's correct. In fact, the very first appointment I had, which was on the Monday, because they give you, you have a team, you have a team of doctors that you're seeing mm-hmm. that's specifically for your, and all the doctors know what's going on with you. As a matter of fact, everything is computerized. You almost never have to say a word. Everybody knows everything, you know. But one of my first appointments that next day, after I did lab and blood tests and all of that stuff, because they were tracking me every day, was um, the psychologist. And uh, the first question that he asked me, we sat down, we had a lovely little conversation. And he said, so just talk to me about how you're feeling about dying. How do you feel about death? And that's how the whole thing began. And uh, so they, they really want to heal you on so many different levels, not just the physical. And there was yoga classes and there were, oh, there were all kinds of things. There were all kinds of Reiki and, and all kinds of uh, meditations and, and th- activities that went along as part of my therapy mm-hmm. for my deadly cancer, which I found astounding. So my day was about, it was a spa toward my health. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. <laughs> it was wow. really astounding. And, and at this point you had no fear. You were just, you were in total acceptance of this is going to kill me and it's okay. And if it doesn't kill me, that's also okay. And I would have moments, I would have moments of, of things that would grab me and almost like really like start to frighten me. And then all of a sudden it would just dissipate and I'd go, well, wait a minute, everything is fine because I felt so cared for everyone on the staff, everyone there, there was, there was no one who was in any way um, not there for me, Mm -hmm. which I will say is another problem that a lot of cancer people face because some people have experiences and I've talked to many where that's not the case. That's not what's happening. That's not what's going on. And that really meant a tremendous amount to me. And I, I'm sure was also a big part of my healing, a big part of why, you know, so the support system, absolutely. Absolutely. How how long were you there? From uh, start to finish, I was there two days short of six weeks. Wow. So it was nearly six weeks. So was it, was, were you there as long, however long you needed to be there or it was something that you chose? Well, the operation was the first part. The first part of the journey was the operation because if they couldn't remove it safely, that was going to be the end. I was going to die. Um, That went extraordinarily well, although I will say we had a couple of cliffhangers just before. (laughs) So it didn't look good. I even made my sister um, write down my my last wishes (laughs) because we were were right there. But then it went amazingly well at the last hour. It went amazingly well. Then um, they removed the tumor. And they removed the kidney and the tumor. Yes, because the kidney had actually taken over, the tumor had taken over the kidney 
And then it branched in several directions. One branch was the deadly branch. That was the one going up toward the heart. So um, then after that, uh, it was suggested because I was only, I was staged at a stage two cancer with an extraordinarily large tumor. Mm -hmm. That's how they staged it. Uh, It was suggested that I do a therapy there that would really eradicate the cancer. And so I thought it was going to be chemotherapy, but they said, no, we were going to, what we're going to do is we'll take your uh, tumor and make a vaccine out of it. Mm -hmm. They call it a vaccine or a serum. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Spanish, they use both names. And they said that we will um, then uh, make that serum and we will inject it back into you mm-hmm. and you will become immune to the cancer. So you will oh, not wow. ever be able to catch this cancer ever again. So I opted for that. I opted to do that. Um, and then I stayed there to rehabilitate my other kidney because it so happened that the kidney I was left with, which was my left kidney, uh, was the weaker of my two kidneys. Mm -hmm. So what they suggested is we will do a rehabilitation program. Mm -hmm. So basically the first three weeks was the surgery weeks. And then after the surgery, those next almost three weeks, two weeks and some odd days was the rehabilitation part of the treatment. So I think it's interesting that you said there was your right kidney, which they associate the right side of the body to be with the masculine and the left side of the body to be with the more feminine. The feminine, that's correct. And so interesting that it was the right side and it makes sense because you were so go, 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 go. go exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And that was the side that gave out. And that's also, I'm a, a dominant on my right side. But oddly enough, uh, I'm also a twin. I have a twin brother. Mm. Um, and I'm also a twin zodiac sign (laughs) but he's left-handed so i was left with his left side his left dominant kidney and and it just blew me away too that kidneys are twins i mean you have two so i thought that was quite ironic that it was my right kidney and i'm right dominant and i was left with his left you know my left kidney and his left side was dominant Um, yeah so after After your surgery, you went to rehabilitation to develop and strengthen your left kidney. When you were discharged, mm-hmm. what was that day like? And what state was your mental, emotional, physical self in? Bliss. <laughs> like, I can't, again, it was absolutely just fabulous. And I worried about nothing. There was just no fear, no anxiety, no worry. I was done. And, you know, I often tell people it was like I died, even though I didn't, I never died on the table, but it was like I died. And when I came back, I wasn't the same person who left. Like when you came back to the United States. Correct. Correct. Wow. I I had the feeling that I had died for a long time. I still have that feeling, but I know that that's not true. It's not medically or physically true, but it still always feels to me like that's what happened to me. Like, like you you kind of went through a rebirth. Correct. It feels like I had a near death experience or some sort of rebirth, even though I cannot sit here and tell you that I did because I don't have any memory of it. Wow. 
Um, and then you went like did the doctors who told you that you were going to die any minute like have have they do they know about your recovery oh yeah they did the retest (laughs) (laughs) so when i got back (laughs) i had to i waited a little while because i didn't have to have the retests immediately because i'd had all the tests in mexico but they did want me to get a three-month uh retest after i was back for three months and a new cat scan just to make sure that everything was going well and so of course i went to the diagnosing doctors because they're the ones that found it (laughs) so i thought well if anybody is going to look for any little problem it'll be those doctors so i went back exactly to the same doctors and um the the one doctor who actually did the actual uh, uh, consultation and the diagnosis he was the one that was really shocked he said this is absolutely spectacular he said as a matter of fact your test results your kidney your one kidney is functioning better than most people's two kidneys wow uh this is something i have to ask is how long after you said you were diagnosed on a tuesday Mm -hmm. how since that day how long did it take for you to finally be completely like the cancer was no longer a part of you you lived it You know, I have to say, I felt like the cancer, I could almost feel the cancer was out of me the day uh, uh, after the operation. Wow. It felt like it was gone. So that was like a two-week period since you were diagnosed? Uh, That would have been almost a little over two, almost three weeks. Almost three. And it literally felt like it was gone. Now, they didn't tell me that in Mexico. They told me, though, that things had gone extremely well. I was waiting for them to say I needed chemo or radiation or whatever. And they were like, no, it went very well. They said there was no spreading that they could see. And they uh, wanted to do this vaccine, this serum. Mm -hmm. And that's when they said that. And they also were suggesting that I stay to rehabilitate the remaining kidney. But they didn't, they, you, they, they didn't tell you that you were cancer-free, per se. Not until, uh, not until the consultation with the vaccine, which was days after my operation. And that's when they said, if you do this vaccine, you can never get this cancer again. So that's, but I knew immediately when I got out of that operation, it was gone. gone. I could just feel it energetically or... Whatever that was, because I was pretty high as well after the operation, but because um, they had to put me out. But I just knew it was gone. I just knew it was gone. So your whole recovery or healing journey, if we want to call it that, healing quotation mm-hmm. marks, was sure. just, just short of six weeks. Just short of six weeks. Yes. Wow. Yeah, like two days shy of six weeks. Wow. And if you count the week that I, from the diagnosis, it's just um, two days shy of seven weeks. Wow. Yeah. You're like probably like a study case for all these doctors now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they were, as I say, the diagnosing doctor here was very, he wanted all of my pathology. So I gave him a a copy of my pathology, um, which was all in Spanish, but he had it translated. So. And that's been five years, and now it's been almost five years. Yeah, it'll be five years in August. My my actual um, date of my operation was September, I think it was the 8th or the 9th. I always forget which, for some reason, because we we had a couple of dates, so, 
Yeah. And and how or have you been doing since then? Oh, physically, like, physically, physically fantastic. I mean, to be honest, I'm I I feel healthier than I ever was before because my whole dietary, my whole everything has changed. My mental, my psychological, my emotional, the way that I work, the way that I work with other people. I mean, it's just completely. It's a transformation. Although most of my life is still in the same, you know, I live in the same place. I work in the same places, but it's completely transformed. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into like the more like the spiritual, the way it healed your consciousness and helped you come back home now, Mm -hmm. because this seems like it was just a huge awakening for you. Huge, huge. And you can tell distinctively that this felt like a death without it being a physical death, but it was a death of an old self, an old way of seeing and perceiving and being Gary. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what, what, what did you learn? How has it changed your relationship with life yourself? I want to know all those details. Okay. And, and I'll describe it the best I can. Everything, particularly when I first got back, everything felt more alive. Everything I touched, everything I did, every person I saw, every, every step I took. Uh, it, and for a while, I even told only very close friends, it would almost feel like, like I could see something on a door. And it was like, it was like speaking to me. It was almost like things were talking. Mm. Um, and that's when I uh, had this, and, and that was going on in Mexico as well. Uh, I thought it was the environment because the environment is very pure and clean, but it stayed. And then I realized that as I went onward, that that kept growing. Mm-hmm. There was a depth. I, in a sense, when people say they see the oneness, that's what it always feels like. I feel like there is no separation between me, where I'm sitting, where I am, where my arm is, where you are, what we're discussing there, it's all known. It's all here. It's all one. It's all pre- uh, happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's no that, boundaries. There's no, there's no boundaries. There's yeah. no boundaries. I can almost feel um, when people are thinking about me or talking about me, and you know that famous, you know, you think about someone and they call. call well, people have that all the time with me. You know, I, they, they think about me and then I call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and they go, oh my God, I was just thinking about you. Or, oh my God, I was just going to text you or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. And so that's just now how life is. Mm-hmm. And it feels as though the essence of things has um be, we've we have a deeper relationship even with objects i have a deeper relationship the feel of clothing uh it's it's become much deeper and there's been no i have no rejections anymore i have no dislikes mm-hmm. anymore uh i guess the best you could say is maybe a preference like if like if somebody offered me you know green tea or water i might have a preference i love them both but I might have a preference and I wouldn't have a preference for a, you know, a, a, a carbonated soda. So you're like living without conditions. Exactly. 
Exactly. That's exactly it. And it's so much more serene and more peaceful. Mm-hmm. And even now with the, you know, the situation with this pandemic, it doesn't really touch me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it, it's, it can't take anything from me. Mm-hmm. It can't do anything to me. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to explain to people because, you know, so many people are, are so deeply affected by this and my heart goes out to them and I totally understand, but I just personally cannot be there with them. I can support them, but I can't really have the same understanding of it or fear of it. I have no fear of it. How, how do we, cause this is, this is huge right now because so many people are afraid of getting COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're doing everything like sanitizing everything and wearing mm-hmm. masks and gloves and everything. And it's just, I feel like it's just, it's just keeping us so much more isolated and stuck in that fear. Yes. Rather than opening ourselves up, knowing what you've lived through and have experienced and how it's transformed you. How would you, what would you say to people who are caught up in the fear of, oh my God, this might kill me. I might get sick that the fear is creating your hell and that hell will become realized if you keep promoting it. It's not, it's not the disease, not the disease. It's the fear that kills you. That is correct. And we have to remember there's many people who've caught it. There's many people who've tested for it, but have no symptoms of it. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember that there is, it's the fear that's really causing. And, and I'll be honest, I've had nurses, <coughs> I've had some doctors who said they have patients that come and they're so terrified that they think they have it. They don't even know if they have it. They think they may have it. They said that they're actually having panic attacks and are unable to breathe, mm-hmm. not because of the COVID, but because of the fear. And so, um, You know, and some of them, they said, were tested and they didn't have it. And then finally, they were able to calm down. (laughs) You know, this totally changes like how we look at disease and health. And oh, for me, I can't see disease anymore in a real, like I used to. How do you see it now? I I see it as another illusion. Mm. Just like death. I see it as just another illusion illusion that we um are some for some reason and i'm not blaming anyone that we become entangled with it just like i became entangled with my cancer and we have to then when we become entangled with it we have to do a dance with it we have to dance out that illusion we have to figure out how do i need to dance with this illusion how do i need to do it so you're and kind of dancing in way to realize which is real, it or me. Exactly. And exactly. the more you believe in the illusion of the disease or whatever the life circumstance you're in, the more power it has and the more power right. it has to then destroy you or say, let's say, kill you. Exactly. And so and I think... it will. And so our job is to kind of change our relationship with it, Right absolutely and also realize the illusion always realize the illusion realize that any fear about it 
is coming from me, the individual. I'm putting the fear into the relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who's doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing it because other people have told me or have proven to me. But see, again, things are only as powerful as you believe them to be. Mm -hmm. or, it's, or sometimes it's our life experience. You know, so many things going wrong, you know, and we associate that if I do this, this will happen or this things just don't go my way or whatever. Right. That could, puts us into fearful states as well. Exactly. And then to realize that if I've done that, I've created a pattern. I've created a way of choosing to look at my life, which is not really true. Yeah. This comes to mind. Fear is just a perspective. It's all it is. It's wow. all it is. And everything we have is just a pattern and something that we've programmed, just like we know how to speak a particular language. It's because it was patterned and programmed. It doesn't mean we can't learn another language. It simply means that that's the one that was programmed. And, though, and whatever is programmed can be deprogrammed or whatever is patterned, the pattern can be shifted. And how do we actually would go about doing that? Like, because speaking to you right now, you're at, you're like if I tap into your energy right now, there's so much purity there. Mm -hmm. Thank like you. You're, yeah. It's 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 like as if like you you kind of broken free from the matrix. Yes. And yes. It's like this is an illusion. We're in a dream. <laughs> like what? Everyone, wake up! This is just a like a dream. <laughs> like this is no like it can't touch you. Mm -hmm. How do? Yeah. Cause I can feel that coming off of you and it's giving me goosebumps, but I know like I'm not there because even today, like I was just like this, this grip of fear, you know, and I was so looking forward to our conversation because I knew it was going to expand my perception. And Great. how do we actually untangle ourselves from the fear? Because you know, COVID-19 is going on, but we might be a health issue, financial issue, a relationship mm -hmm. issue. And mm -hmm. there is so much fear of how is, thing, how, how is this going to all unfold? How is this all going to work out? Am I ever going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. How do we start that untangling process? Well, first of all, um, as, as with my cancer, so I was going toward a death. A death. That's what I was told. I was going toward my death, mm -hmm. right? Well, right now, this pandemic, everyone is moving towards a death of something. And as you just mentioned, whether it be economic or whether it be um, personal or social or whatever the case may be, or a job. Um, that that's, a, that's really powerful that you say it like that. that I've never looked at this as a this is really a process of death happening yes. for all of us actually on the through, planet. Through, through the entire world. Exactly. Wow. Wow. And remember there's a paradigm shift That's happening. that comes with that as came to me and realizing that anyone can die at any minute, but also realizing that anything can change on a dime. Ev nothing is permanent. Mm -hmm. Not our, 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 the other people in our life, not our jobs, not our material things, not our apartments, not where we live. Nothing is permanent. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And really, when you think about it, it's freeing. Mm -hmm. because we've 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 we go above the water you know like if we're underwater we go above it and we see that there's there's openness and there's air that i can re 
um, design this in whatever way I want to design it. Mm -hmm. And that the world is going to be doing a similar thing with me. Mm -hmm. And so do I want to ride on that wave or do I want to be in fear and do I not want to be submerged still under the water? Mm-hmm. What do I want to choose? Mm-hmm. Now, again, most people would say, of course I want to be above the water, but look at this and look at that. But see, there it is. They're looking at it. And where do you really look at things from? So like even about getting sick, like if somebody's afraid right now, they're going to get sick. They're looking at it from the future yeah. because they're not sick now. Right. So first you have to start from there. Well, right now I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And right now I still have enough money to eat or right now I don't have enough money. So then what am, what am I going to open myself up to, to get me more money? Mm-hmm. What is going to, and maybe it is about shifting, finding something new, moving um, uh, moving in with someone else. I mean, I don't know. I don't know those answers, but they're there. So they're you're saying that there. we, our job is to open up. That is correct. And Otherwise, when we, open never... up, when we open up, it's the synchronicities that happen to you start happening to us. And we start to see, oh, I'm being guided to go do this. I don't know why this person's name is on my mind right now. I haven't thought yeah. of them in five right. years. Right. Like me with Farrah Fawcett. I never thought about Farrah Fawcett. And all of a sudden, that day, Farrah Fawcett leads me to research something that leads me to the place that I went to in Mexico that took care of the entire situation. And that opening up only happens when we embrace the situation, when we accept this is what is instead of resisting it, which we do that by putting fear and looking at through the perspective or the letting 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 it be entangled with fear absolutely that is exactly and beautifully said that's a lot of sense i'm learning here (laughs) (laughs) and and well that and that's been my mission yeah my mission has really been to bring people to that and of course um i get a lot of calls from people who are facing death i mean as you can probably imagine especially since i wrote my book which was uh two years ago now uh and I, 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 and, and remember not, not all of them will survive. I know that. And they know that. So now the question is, how do you want to live this part of it? Because that's really what I was facing. Cause I didn't think I was going to survive either. You weren't thinking so, about the future. You were just thinking I wasn't about thinking right about now. anything. I was thinking about this, but I was accepting if that occurred, I was okay with that. I was okay with whatever whatever was going to happen. And that's what I often try to get people into. Okay, so let's, let's say something terrible is going to happen. Let's say something wonderful is going to happen. Okay, those are possibilities. But what do you want to live right now mm. without anything holding you down? That what is do such a powerful question. Isn't it? What do you want to live right now without anything holding you down? Right. And forget about what the future, the future great or the future horrible. Forget about both of them. It's irrelevant. Because that's not here yet. That question in and of itself is like an opening. Yes. And that was my opening. And that's it. That was it. And when I hit that moment of bliss, 
I was there. There was no cancer diagnosis, even though I had it in my hand. There was no future. There was no problems. Past. Past, future. It was gone. I was just there and I was it. It felt like I absorbed into the the world, the universe. I was just in it. How, how do you look at how do you look at time now? Oh, time to me is just irrelevant, <laughs> and you know it's becoming that way in quantum physics as well. But um, it it no longer it has no power over me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't even um, uh, uh, you know like I used to when I'd have a big appointment or something or something that I had to prepare for, there'd be that moment, you know, of like getting ready and, and making sure everything was fine. And I'd have like a little bit of nervous energy around it. And now I, I just can't, I just can't. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 I don't have the ability anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't have the ability, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it's, uh, even if it's something, um, very important time-wise. I just, I, I can't time and, and, distance space uh great space they they they're they're meaningless to me anymore i uh my mother passed away uh uh over a year ago and i feel like she's right here alive and it's not that i mourn her or miss her i just feel like she's just always present Mm -hmm. so there's nothing to mourn or miss there's nothing to she's not gone yeah there's no gone so really it's, that's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of this. And anyone can do it. Mm-hmm. Anyone can do it if they're willing to just allow themselves to let go of their illusion. Let it's, go it's of your there. illusion. It's there. Always. And you know it's an illusion because there's fear there. Exactly. As soon as there's fear, you know there's an illusion. That's you know happens. there has to be. How would you, what would you describe intuition as and how can we start to listen to that inner voice that's within us? Because it feels like through your journey, you really did start to hear clearly your intuition mm-hmm. and what it was guiding you to. And I will say, see, a lot of people do refer to intuition as a voice but some people get confused because they think it's going to talk like a voice talks mm-hmm. in a linear fashion, which is not it at all. Yeah. What it really for me is, is there's this, this knowing this, like when I saw the picture of the Mexico on the, on the computer, there's this knowing I knew I just had to be there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why I didn't know what it didn't have any logic or reason. Mm-hmm. That's when those are the those are the intuitions for me mm-hmm. or when something comes to me a phrase or a thing or a person or a song or whatever that's when i know like oh that's leading me to something mm-hmm. that something is big really big right there and i mm-hmm. have to keep going with that mm-hmm. so that those are my intuitions and how they come i don't look for linear I don't look for linear. It's just a feeling. Yeah. I had one lovely uh, woman who uh, called me because she had a, a, a terrible, terrible diagnosis. Um, and hers was, uh, uh, they had no treatment like me. 
And, but the one, what they did have was a clinical trial. So uh, it was at Sloan Kettering in New York and they had a clinical trial. And um, so she called me and it was kind of puzzling to me because she said, you know, I have this clinical trial and da, da, da. And I said, well, what's the problem? And she said, well, they're telling me that I'll die if I do it. And I said, well, who? And she said, the doctors, because they don't believe the trial will really work. Yeah. But it's all they've got. And I said, oh, well, why don't you want to do it? And she said, well, because my husband, my mother don't want me to do it. And I said, well, how do you feel about it? She said, you know, I got this feeling when they said it about this trial and it went through my body and I knew I wanted to do it. I said, well, then that's your answer. So what's the problem? Yeah. And she said, but I, I'm feeling guilty because all the people who love me want me to not do it. So I'll be here a little longer with them because yeah. she was going to definitely die. Yeah. And I said, well, you know what, then you have to tell them that they don't have the cancer. You have the cancer. You're the one who's in charge. Mm-hmm. They are not in charge. And you have to give up that guilt because that guilt is their fear. That's mm-hmm. all that is. I said, that's not you. You feel great because you want to do the clinical trial. Mm-hmm. I said, so you've, you've just misinterpreted what's actually going on. And do you know, she did that clinical trial and this is years ago. She's still alive today. Wow. And they didn't study her and they want to know why the clinical trial worked so well. Wow. <laughs> but I can tell you why it worked well, because she believed in it. Mm. That's why it worked well. And you, I, and you, 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 <clears throat> would you say that you believed in what the healing process that you went through as well? Yeah, I knew I needed that if I was going to heal, I needed to do it in a beautiful way. And it was the beautiful way and it worked. And did you know in that moment when you found that place on your computer screen that this is this is where I was going to, this is it? I knew that this was it, but I didn't know that I would be, I would be alive at the end of it. But it didn't matter. I knew I needed to be there. That you, I knew. You were totally surrendered. <laughs> totally. Totally. There was total and, and death. I, I really didn't care whether I was going to die or live. But as things, we went closer to the operation, I was pretty sure I was going to die. But I was okay with it. I was totally fine with that. Other people were not. But I was, I was totally fine with that. And would you say that really was... I don't know how to describe it, but it just feels like that, that, that was you t- in total openness. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to ask, I, go ahead. I had no conditions any longer on what I wanted or needed. I start to see that wants and needs and desires are really part of the ego. It's really part of the, our, the side that really holds us back. The fear side, the ego side of the brain. I really feel that's what holds us back. And that just stopped. Mm-hmm. It just stopped. It either way, whatever it, happens, it's, it's all fine. It was all going to be great. And you know, it's funny. Anita said that in her book as well. She knew before she went back in her body that no matter what happened, it was all going to be absolutely fine. 
And I understand that feeling completely because I had that feeling totally. She laughs at me and she says, yeah, but, but I had a near death experience and you didn't. So how did you do that? And I said, well, maybe I had one on another plane. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. Um, I don't know. I have to ask you, what's your definition of surrender? Because it's such a buzzword. It is such a buzzword. It's, it's such a buzzword and people use it all the time and I've even used it. And um, when I think of the act of surrender, you know, we think of the old, uh, the old movies, you know, the wartime movies where the hands go up in the air and they give over their power yeah. um, to the opposite person, whoever that is. And I don't think of surrender really that way. I think of surrender as giving over to the power that's actually always been there. Mm -hmm. That's always been present without my desirous, wanting, egoic side interfering with its little quippy gossip. Mm -hmm. So that's really how I see it. I don't see it that we're letting go into something else. We're surrendering into something else that it's all present. Like right now it's surrender. It's all, it's all around us. The energy we need is all around us. And it's simply giving over finally to it without letting this busy monkey mind interfere with it. So like giving over the illusion. Yeah. And choosing to see clearly with clear sight. Correct. Correct. That's really powerful. And, and there is no true uh, negativity or unless you put it there. There is no true. And I'm going to even go as far as to say evil. There is evil in the world, but only if you give it your power. Mm-hmm. That's it. And we give it we give it our power by by believing in it. By believing in it. By um, believing in it. Yeah. Um, there was a question that came to my mind. Oh yeah, here's the question. Well, how, how would you describe the power our mind has in our life? Because our mind is such a powerful tool, right? It's mm-hmm. it's, it's the home of fear. Yep. And our mind, again, is, is the, is, is, first of all, I don't feel like our mind operates in our body. So let's mm-hmm. start there. It's not in our body. Mm-hmm. It feels like our mind is in our body, but I don't believe that anymore. I believe that our mind is all encompassing. It's all around us. And we are simply receiving. There are, re- like our cell phone. Mm-hmm. receives its signal from the greater cosmos. Mm-hmm. And for all we know, it's some satellite way out there. I think that's really more of what's really going on. So it's kind of more like it's this energy field around us in a way? Yeah. And I'm going to say a big energy field. Like if we can think it's is big and bigger than the earth, it goes just like a, a, a signal does. Mm-hmm. And it can travel, you know, Great distances. Great distances, even from outer space. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the first thing in terms of the mind. And that mind has a frequency, okay? So just like the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. 
mind has a frequency like birds mm -hmm. and that we're picking up on the frequencies that we are able to translate because of our frequency. Mm -hmm. And if we want different frequencies, then we have to raise our frequency. Mm -hmm. And how do we raise our frequency? By getting rid of our fears, by getting rid of our illusions, by getting rid of the things that block and stop us. Mm -hmm. So the things we're holding on to. Correct. That's our job. Mm -hmm. That's our job. And remember, we can do it hundreds of times a day. Um, you know, people worried about how something's going to go or a thing they're working on for work or a person they have to meet. I mean, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of opportunities. Um, letting those go and, and realizing in every single moment that I can let this go. I can give up this fear. I can give up this holding back. I can give up this uh, anxiety or this anticipation. These are all negative and these are blocking me from picking up to a higher frequency. Mm -hmm. and then you can lift the frequency. Once you get good, it's kind of like at a class, once you've gotten good enough, you can lift the frequency up a little higher, and now you can receive other things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, and that's really what I think the trick is. Mm -hmm. It's just tuning into those other frequencies, and how do you tune in? Get rid of those little tiny yeah, tensions and fears that come up through the day. That makes a lot of sense. I see it as it like closes us off. Correct. And when we're closed off, we're just in a room with our own illusion and we're all just with our own illusion, right? going in a circle and dancing together and we're miserable, but we're like, but we're in a room together. And the minute we just kind of open up, it's like we let other things in. Exactly. That makes a lot and of again, sense. And again, you know, this is a wonderful opportunity because, you know, this the everyone is in it with everyone else it was probably the first time in the, in the history of the planet mm -hmm. where the whole planet is 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 you know got the same things on their mind mm -hmm. and economically everything's been affected in, in affected in every single realm mm -hmm. uh emotionally mentally psychologically economically i mean just and so it's a perfect perfect um experiment really mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To now go, okay, can I open up to some kind of higher frequency mm -hmm. with this? Mm -hmm. And that will be the next step. That yeah. will be it. The high, a higher perspective. Correct. Yeah. That makes and that is what's coming. I mean, it is coming. It's, it's already here, really. Yeah. Um, what is five years later, almost, uh -huh. looking back on your journey, what did it all teach you if you can summarize it for me what did you learn from this experience and how it changed i mean we know we know how it changed you but what 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 was the biggest takeaway that how you travel the journey is the all it's not the destination never never the destination wow. how you travel the journey is the all of everything is why there is no correct there is no arrival there is no arrival there is no departure it's just one continuous journey and how you travel it just how you travel it and you get to choose that all the time you get to choose how to travel it
That's really powerful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. How am I traveling this journey? And that is your choice. There's a bazillion ways to get to Rome. If there's Rome. <laughs> if there's Rome. <laughs> <laughs> That's also the illusion. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. Uh, what does bliss mean to you? Oh, the, yeah. see, I, I, now I'm almost running out of words for it. Uh, it's a, it's a euphoria. It's a, it's a euphoric, but I don't want to give the idea that's like, yay. It's, it's euphoric in a very quiet, quiet way. Mm -hmm. I've it's only, that's the way I can describe it. I think I've experienced it one or two, three, three times in a complete way where I've had the moments that you're describing where it was just kind of like, you don't know where you begin or where something else begins. I was, uh -huh. I was out by Lake Michigan. This is many years ago when I used to live in Chicago, actually. Oh, I'm from there. Yeah. So I was standing at the pier and I was looking out into the, uh, into the lake and the sky was like crystal clear blue and the, and the lake was really blue and there was no clouds. And I was looking and I felt completely at one. Ah. It was this, it was this insane sensation of there is no separation. And I felt this complete ecstasy of bliss. And it was as if like, it was like oozing out of my body and I could not yeah. formulate. I can't formulate that feeling because uh -huh. there's no, there's no words for it. There, no, there aren't. And, and I, I totally and I was, get And I was crying, not because I was sad, but I was just like, so enveloped in this bliss it was like blissful love that's what i would describe it as okay. and it, it was okay. the most it was the, it was the, it was a time in my life where i felt like there was no condition and completely at one with it mm -hmm. and it feels like that's like every day for you yeah <laughs> i gotta be honest it really is <laughs> it really is i get so excited and just and joyous and just at one with everything how do you how do you deal with contrast and unfavorable things now? They they there 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 is no unfavorable. Mm -hmm. It really what it is is just another signal that it's going to the energy is going to move in a different direction. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's not unfavorable. It's just the way it is. And and I have found that when the more one completely accepts it unconditionally, the more it transmutes it and transforms it into something else. So the more accepting you are, the less resisting of it you are. Correct. And that changes the, the, uh, the if it's a person or an event or a thing, it changes it because you've, that's the way you've gone with it. And then there's a beauty that unfolds it from it. Puts, it puts on a whole different, completely different frequency or trajectory. Absolutely. That makes Absolutely. So you're you kind of you, that energy. You just welcome them. You're like, okay, these are all the things that are just going to change the energy or change the way the life is headed now. Exactly. That's a great, great way of looking at it. I, I really need to learn how to do that. Yeah. And as I say, it's always here. It's always here. We, we have it at every moment at every opportunity. Yeah. 
Okay, so I have one final question for you, which is, okay. what would you say has been the thing, the thing that you've learned, gone through on your journey mm-hmm. that has impacted you the most that, that would really would help somebody else right now, whoever needs to hear it? Hmm. The one thing. You are more powerful and more divine than you can ever comprehend. Mm. So why worry? Wow. It feels like you're saying that to me. Maybe I need to to hear it. (laughs) But we all, yeah, it's the biggest message. And um, and as I say, I teach a lot. And that's the one thing I would love to give to everyone. That you're more powerful and more divine than you can ever, ever, ever imagine. So why are you fussing or worrying or bothering with all this? Mm-hmm. are you it's, holding on why yeah why and that's you know that's uh, the key and it, would that you is, say would you say that's the homecoming absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely yep wow and again because if we've made it here we're, we're already here we're we're we we got born all all the all the any other thing is is over it's over mm-hmm. <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't be here mm-hmm. we weren't divine and powerful wouldn't even be here whole yeah mm-hmm. and we we have wouldn't, forgotten that exactly exactly and the, and would you and would you say because this is what i i firmly believe is that we're all on a journey home to that knowing about ourselves correct correct and it would be nice to get there before one leaves the planet. planet. So you can enjoy it in the physical sense. Correct. So you can really make the most of it. That's yeah. correct. Because to be physical and to know that, oh, I, I bet that's, I mean, I bet, but I know that's so much fun because, you know, I, I go in and out of it. Mm-hmm. But we all when, have moments. Yes. When, I, when I'm there, I'm like, oh my God, this is why we're physical to experience the power, the divinity, the wholeness yeah. of it. It encapsulates it so differently if we were just still non-physical. Exactly. Exactly. Just like that experience you spoke of. That's it. Yeah. That is it. And and it's always there. Yeah. Where can people find you? Um, So Gary Ramsey, my book is on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So you can just go to Amazon books. Um, That's the easiest place. I'm also on Facebook. uh, And I have an Instagram account as well um ramsey bliss on instagram and uh bliss one hero's journey on facebook and that's the title of the book yeah and all the links to gary's uh all this goodness from him will be in the show notes so go check that out i know i'll be getting a copy of your book to dive further into your journey because i'm pretty sure there's things you said that we did not probably go through in our conversation today. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you resonate with Gary's message, his journey of healing, transformation of homecoming, go buy his book. It will be life-changing just like this 
episode has been. I've like written down a page of notes right now for things to contemplate and just really allow myself to, you know, let go of. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. 